there, and thanks for checking out episode 89 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. My name is Greg Lindberg. Here on episode 89 of Eyes Free Sports, our guest is a gentleman from the great state of Michigan, and he is a longtime goalball player and has competed uh, multiple times at the highest level of goalball in the Paralympic Games. And he's also recently gotten into adaptive skiing for the blind and visually impaired. So let's go ahead and hit the goalball court now and dive headfirst into episode 89 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. Okay, so joining me here on this episode of Eyes Free Sports is John Cusco. And John is a highly accomplished uh, Paralympian in goalball and a longtime adaptive athlete. John, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. Awesome. Really appreciate you taking some time uh, out of your busy schedule. I know we got plenty to dive into here. Um, so why don't we just kind of start things off with uh, you know, your, your personal background. I understand you are originally from Michigan, right? You got it. Yeah. So from Warren, Michigan, a suburb bordering mm-hmm. Detroit to the north. And uh, you know, my father was an immigrant from Turkey. My mother grew up in Detroit and they were outrageously supportive of me growing up. So, uh, you know, when I was a really youngster, my mom said, there's something wrong. We point at something and he can't find it. Or we roll a ball to him and it goes right by him. That's weird. And so eventually uh, I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. Uh, so that causes tunnel vision. I was probably born with somewhere around 15 degrees of vision. And as I get older, that uh, tunnel caves in and gets smaller and smaller, but had outrageous amounts of support growing up, loved sports, did everything and anything I could do in life. You know, I was in Cub Scouts. I played soccer on a soccer team. I played rollerblade hockey in the neighborhood driveways, every single chance I could get uh, extremely active youngster. And, uh, you know, all the support from two parents that, anyone could ever ask for so it was pretty awesome (laughs) oh yeah definitely lucky guy you know great family it sounds like any siblings as well yeah you know uh never a sibling that lived with me so i have a half brother who was uh is 14 years older than me so he was never in the same household more like a you know more like a cousin kind of relationship just because of the age separation for sure understandable and then, so in terms of education, so I assume you were pretty much mainstream throughout your schooling years? Yeah, absolutely. So went to uh, general education, part of Warren Consolidated Schools, uh, and I had a couple of specialists who would come and meet with me a couple times a week. So an orientation and mobility specialist teaching me how to use a cane and a Braille and technology TCVI specialist who would teach me all the other things, all the classroom things and using technology and reading braille, all sorts of things like that. So went through public school, regular PE classes, uh, that when I was at the elementary school level, I participated in fully and right around that boundary between fifth and sixth grade is, is a a time where two things happened for me. Number one, all (laughs) those sports that everyone was playing, they got way more competitive, way faster, way everyone got stronger. And, uh, 
at the same time, my vision got worse. And so I went from, you know, loving to play soccer, loving to play driveway rollerblade hockey to kind of being lost. Like it's not really fun anymore. You know, I, I still love to play, but if I played as hard or as fast as I wanted to play that I could physically play one of three things would happen. I would hurt myself. I would hurt somebody else or I would break something. And so I definitely needed something. I didn't, you know, at the time I was very young, maybe like 12 years old. I didn't know what I needed. I just knew I needed something. Right. Right. And I assume it took some time to kind of identify what that something was and then the next steps. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, turned out, you know, it, as you could probably guess from your intro for me, it was goalball. <laughs> I, <Sure. laughs> I didn't know it was goalball, obviously. Uh, I had played a few times in elementary school. There used to be uh, these little, uh, like, like small one-day, you know, one-afternoon events in the Detroit area for blind or visually impaired kids to come together. And it was a very big deal for me for a couple of reasons. Number one, being mainstreamed. I was never really around any other kids with disabilities, let alone any other kids who are blind. And so going sure. to these goalball events every, you know, few months, it was really my first exposure to a large group of kids who I could just automatically identify with like, boom, we have something in common. Uh, it was, that, that was a big deal for me. I didn't really fall in love with goalball at first. I thought it was kind of weird. You know, you put on, you put on the blacked out ski goggles and you crawl around on the floor and a ball slams into you and it kind of hurts. So it's definitely not something that the first time you play it, you're like, I love this game. I want to do this for the rest of my life. But, uh, <laughs> I, I had a great thing happen. There's a, there's an event that happens in Michigan every year, this time of year, it actually is happening in just a couple of days here. It's the Michigan blind athletic association sports education camp. And it happens in Kalamazoo at Western Michigan University. Uh, it was started in the 80s. And it is a fantastic event. We, we just call it Sports Camp for short. Um, and it just right. open to any blind or visually impaired person in the country. It is not just limited to uh, Michigan. And uh, it's, it's to teach blind and visually impaired kids sports. Any sports, all sports. Introduce them to anything. Show how things can be adapted especially showing off goalball. Goalball is uh, one of the great things about goalball is that goalball is not an adapted sport. Goalball is just goalball. It is a sport that was invented for blind people. It's not an adapted sport from an existing sport. It's pretty unique in that way. Um, True. And so going to that camp, connecting with other young men and women of my age and having some interest in sports it really changed my life. <laughs> uh, in eighth grade, I was selected to be part of the state team, like the state level team to go to the youth national championships down in Florida at the school for the blind. Um, and that kind of changed the trajectory of my life. I found other, some other blind dudes that were my same age living not too far away in the Detroit area. And the three of us formed a team, the Michigan hurricanes, and under the tutelage of some older goalball players in Michigan, we traveled around Canada and the U.S. playing in tournaments all throughout high school. You know, starting my freshman year of high school, I went to tournaments in Ottawa, Pennsylvania, Utah, Colorado. 
Um, and just, it went on from there, traveling all over, completely changed everything that I believed about life. Uh, growing up, wow. you know, growing up mainstreamed, it would have been the worst thing ever had I had to use my cane at school. You know, everyone would have known I was blind, how upsetting that would have been. I, I look back at that mindset right. and it seems absurd, but it, it's the way I felt, you know, I, I didn't want anyone to know that I couldn't see and traveling around with a group of adolescent boys who are all legally blind very much changed that opinion in my mind. You know, when we roll into McDonald's six deep, they have no choice but to accept the fact that there are six blind men in their lobby and they have to deal with us. And it, it, uh, it really like made me realize that it's okay to be blind. You know, uh, I've become unapologetically blind. It's okay. I can say, Hey man, I can't read that menu. Can you tell me what it says? And that was something that I would not really have learned in regular school. Right. Wow. That's, <laughs> I'm just so fascinated by your perspective. And I've, I've definitely been involved in not only sports, adaptive sports, but also like ACB, different blind groups and really interesting perspective on, like you say, about, you know, a group of blind people kind of going into a business or any kind of location and how that really changes everyone's perspectives around them. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and also being from Florida, really curious about the Hurricanes name for the, the Michigan team there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm not 100% sure uh, where this this previous step, but the previous step was the the Michigan Spitfire. So they were named after a an American fighter plane, I think a World War II plane, not even 100% hmm. sure on that. So uh, that was the Michigan Spitfire. And so then we, we came along kind of under their wing as younger players. And so the, the hurricane was another fighter plane, a U.S. World War II era fighter plane. So that, that is where that name came from. Not, not the, the storm, but uh, a different right. altogether. Yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. So just a little more as far as your education. Talk to me about uh, any college education, any other education, and, and just your career as well before we kind of dive further into sports. Yeah, those are all tied together. So I'll kind of uh, I'll weave that narrative for us. So uh, going sure. through high school, I started playing goalball. I started getting better and better at the sport. And uh, at the same time, I play the trumpet. I was in, you know, the high school, all the high school bands, you know, the marching band, the jazz band, the symphonic band. Uh, so those two things were kind of my big passions as well as being involved in lots of other things like Boy Scouts. And, uh, I was invited to try out for team USA in my senior year of high school. And so I went to a training camp and then to the camp, they said, great, you, you did a great job. We'd love to invite you to be part of this team. Uh, we have a tournament that we want you to compete in and the dates coincided with a very important band event. And I couldn't, you know, I had like solos and, and really important parts to play. And I was like, you know, I, I would love to, but I can't. And it kind of made me realize that there are certain things in life that you can do for your whole life. And there's certain things in life that you can only do when you're young. And so right. I said, I, I will keep playing goalball, but I'm not really ready to be part of this international level that I really honestly didn't even know existed. Um, I just play goalball for the fun of it, you know? And so yep. I said, you know, I'm not really ready to be part of this. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to focus on some other things. So uh, I ended up going off to college at Western Michigan university, certainly mostly because of my familiarity with the campus due to sports camp. And uh, sure. I always knew I wanted to be a teacher since I was a very young kid. 
Um, I would help out with Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts teaching, you know, anything and anything, you know, how to use a pocket knife, how to swim. Didn't, didn't matter what it was. I loved helping other people learn things. So I knew I wanted to be a teacher. Uh, in high school, I learned that I really loved mathematics. And so went off to Western Michigan University become, to become a high school math teacher. Um, finished, you know, at, as I was at Western Michigan, I played in the Bronco marching band, the university band, traveled around the country, you know, even got to play in a, in a bowl game. Uh, so that was oh, wow. a pretty special life event. You might ask how someone with no peripheral vision does marching band. And I honestly can't tell you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it just has to do with the fact that, you know, there's a spot that I'm supposed to be in and I, I memorize that spot and I go there, you know, uh, also, right. um, you know, using your ears, you, you can hear the, the people playing your instruments near you. So. I'm sure I was out of line every once in a while, but it was never bad enough that there was a problem. And I did good enough that I was a section leader for two of my five years. So, uh, certainly, oh, nice. yeah, certainly did a good job. Uh, obviously still playing goalball, uh, switched my team. I was now part of the Michigan wrecking crew traveling around all those same places all over the U S and Canada. And, uh, as I finished my undergrad, realized that I wasn't really done learning mathematics. So went directly into a master's degree in mathematics. Uh, I got a teaching assistantship. So I got to teach some freshman level college classes while I was getting my master's degree, which was great. Cause I learned that I didn't want to teach college. Um, <laughs> and at the same time I dabbled in a new sport that I hadn't really done a lot of before. Um, I ran four marathons in the span of 2008 to 2010. So I ran Detroit oh, wow. twice and I ran Boston twice. Uh, my first marathon, I ran without a guide, uh, which looking back seems absolutely insane to me, but is still pretty cool. <laughs> and then, right. uh, yeah, my next three, uh, luckily found, found some people to run with. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. I got my first teaching job in Clio, Michigan, a little bit North of Flint. And, uh, it was a blast, but also one of the hardest things I've ever done, uh, teaching at a comprehensive high school, uh, we had 72 minute periods. So I had, uh, four 72 minute classes every day. And, uh, they were usually full of about 32 high schoolers and, uh, used a little bit of adaptive technology, but mostly just brute force <laughs> to, to get through teaching. <laughs> Uh, I, I did have uh, a couple accommodations was that, uh, the librarian and I would get together for about 20, 30 minutes a day to enter grades. So we would go through all the papers to grade them and enter them into the system because that was just too, too visual of a task. It was all Java based. And so I wasn't able to navigate that, um, using my you know laptop. Um, sure. and then at that same time is when I finally said, okay, I'm ready to be part of USA goalball. So 2009, I made my first team USA. Um, and from then until now I've traveled all over the world competing in two world championships and two Paralympics and countless other competitions all over. Wow. Wow. And just a little more on uh, your math teaching career. What types of math have you taught? Yeah. So digging deep there, uh, in Clio, I taught everything from algebra one, through geometry, algebra two, ACT prep, pre-calculus and AP calculus. So, uh, I got mm. a little bit of everything there. Uh, I taught there for four years and, uh, 
from there we moved um and so uh from there moved to a city called commerce township still a suburb of detroit and i teach at a career and tech ed center so high school juniors and seniors come to my school for half of their school day to learn a trade so we have 15 programs you know welding engineering a bunch of computer programming stuff nursing stuff culinary auto agri-science um, and my job is to help those students with whatever math and science they need. And I also work with some early college students and uh, to generally just a helpful person around the building. But again, this is a, this is a public K-12 school. So students of all ability levels attending uh, have had the privilege of having two legally blind students while teaching there. So uh, mm, that was I wondered, yeah. pretty great <laughs> to connect with them on kind of that personal level. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Well, hey, congrats on your, your career as a teacher. Obviously, educators are just so important in our society, so underpaid in many cases. So kudos to you for what you do. I absolutely love it. Hanging out with 16 and 17 year olds all day is uh, it's awesome. They have so much energy and passion and excitement. Absolutely. No doubt about that. So then advancing as far as your, your goalball career. So I know you mentioned 2009 is kind of when you got hooked up with Team USA and basically joined the, the team or just talk to me about kind of your journey there. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in around that time, early 2009, I reached out to the coaches of the national team and just said, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm ready to be part of this again. So they invited me to a training camp and I was chosen for the team. So I uh, went to uh, my first tournament was in Lithuania, which, you know, maybe seems like a weird place to some people, but in the world of goalball, Lithuania has been a powerhouse for many, many years. And so when they host a tournament, the other national teams flock to that tournament to, to play against those players. They are very good. So I uh, got right. that tournament right. and then the Pan American championships later on that same year. Those are my first two kind of back to back events, which were really, was really a tremendous start for me. And then, uh, was able to maintain my place on the team over the years. Every single event is a new tryout process. So every single time the team's like, Oh, we're going to go to this tournament. It's, it's a brand new tryout process. They can only select six players. A, a goalball team has six players. So, um, you know, at any moment you're kind of both, you have that opportunity to, to make the team, but you also feel like you're kind of on that chopping block of being sent home. <laughs> right. And so, uh, you know, it was, I've been able to maintain that spot all the way from 2009 through the, the 2020 Paralympics, which actually happened in 2021. Some highlights, I guess, uh, in 2014, we captured the bronze at the world championships and then in 2016, the silver at the Paralympics, uh, that one was very special. Honestly, both those two were very special. It was myself, Joe Hamilton and Tyler Marin, all three of us from Michigan, having gone through the sports education camp, we were the starting three players at those two tournaments. And so for the three of us to play together consistently, all three graduates from Western Michigan university, all three gone through the sports education camp, uh, it was very special and a lot of fun, honestly. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm just curious being on that Paralympic stage, uh, whether it was Rio in 2016 um, or Tokyo in 21, you know, what does that mean to you to, to actually be on that stage, kind of the highest level of, of the sport and, and just competition? Yeah, absolutely. So most people who have traveled to a goalball tournament, either to play or to check it out, know that 
you have to be quiet while goal ball is played. And generally speaking, at most tournaments, there's not really that many people in the room anyway. You know, it's it's some of the other teams, maybe some parents, aunts and uncles and grandparents of the local team. And that's about it. The Paralympic stage is quite a bit different. The arena in Rio was like a 10,000 person arena. And so mm. it's not exactly quiet. It's quite right. kind of. And so <laughs> that, that excitement level that, you know, when you make a good play, normally it's silent. You know, you, don't, you never get that acknowledgement for some amazing thing that just happened, unless it's, you scored a goal, because that, that's when people can cheer. And on, on that Paralympic level stage, you can't stop 8,000 people from gasping. So, you know, you make that great save on the goal line to punch the ball out of bounds and, and there's, there's cheering. It's, it's very exciting. It's very fun. I would say that, you know, every single game in Rio at the end of the game, there were tears rolling down my face, whether we won or lost, just because like that emotion gets held in the whole game, the excitement in that room. And so at the end, it's just finally, I can relax and let it all out. It was pretty astounding. Right, right. Absolutely. And then in terms of Tokyo, I know you did reference how the games were delayed, obviously, with COVID uh, year from 2020 to 21. And personally, how were, how were you impacted by that delay? And then just talk to me about kind of the, the difference between Rio and 16 and then all the, you know, the restrictions, the limitations, how everything was so different dynamic wise in 2021. So my role on Team USA has has changed over the years. As I said, uh, in 2014, 2016, you know, even in 2018 at that World Championships, I was a starting player. And then in, in 2019, we had a coaching change. And so my role has changed. I've become much more of a supportive player to the team. And so I went into the 2020 Paralympics in 2021 kind of as that player who could be brought in specifically on a defensive role to help the team maintain where we're at or, you know, shut down the other team so we could keep a lead that that sort of a role. And so I kind of went into the games as, you know, much more focused on like, okay, what can I do to help this team instead of what can I do to lead this team? So that was very different from my perspective on a personal level. The other thing that was totally different for Tokyo was the media coverage in Rio, we had very, very little media coverage in the USA, almost none, really. Um, and going into Tokyo, we knew that every single game was going to be live on television. We knew that every single one of our games was going to have an audio description track that someone could turn on and watch. And, uh, you know, that that amount of media coverage was was just totally different. You know, people that had never heard of goalball turned on their TV, you know, most of our games were in the middle of the night. So those midnight TV watchers would turn it on and be like, what's this? And they would sit down, they'd watch an entire game of goalball. And then they would like find us on Twitter and Instagram and, and be like, Hey, you're so cool. Thanks for playing this awesome sport. You know? So that, that was really a very different experience for me. Interesting. Yeah. And definitely a big shout out to, you know, NBC sports and, just all the outlets that provided that additional coverage, obviously huge for, you know, Paralympic uh, coverage, publicity, whatnot in general. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, anything as far as, you know, the kind of the restrictions, just, uh, you know, was it more stressful, would you say, traveling to Tokyo for the games, just considering the circumstances of everything going on? Yeah, that's an interesting question. 
when we went down to Rio, we weren't really allowed to go out into the community to explore because of safety concerns that the area was not safe as far as the citizens and police coverage and things like that. And so we were, we were pretty contained to the village. You know, we, we just stayed in the village and went to our competition and, uh, we were able to go see other competitions though. So that, that I guess is different in Tokyo. Again, we weren't allowed to go out into the community, but for a very different reason. Um, right. but we weren't allowed to go see any other sports either. So if we had a day off, we mm. couldn't go see, you know, seated volleyball or wheelchair basketball or, you know, judo, it, it, we were just confined. And so that, you know, that was different, but the same, <laughs> uh, sure. but it was very hot, you know, 95 degrees with 90% humidity the whole time we were there. Um, and so mm. for the most part, we didn't really want to go anywhere or do anything. We just wanted to stay in our air conditioned apartment. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> and, uh, any kind of, I know some of the, the Paralympians get like swag bags and, you know, there's certainly things that the Paralympic athletes, uh, you know, as, as with their Olympic counterparts, uh, receive, you know, in addition to some media coverage, anything you want to mention just on that front? The quantity of Nike and Ralph Lauren clothing that I own is incredible. <laughs> it, uh, I could only wear USA things probably for the rest of my life. I have enough of that paraphernalia to just, that's all I wear. And, and honestly at school that uh, you know, the, the, the teacher outfit generally would be slacks and a collared shirt. And so, uh, because of, you know, polo Ralph Lauren being the sponsor, I have enough team USA polos that I will probably only ever wear team USA polos to school for the rest of my career. Mm. Wow. That <laughs> says it all. <laughs> wow. Wow. So then moving on to skiing, I know that you had told me that you've gotten into adaptive skiing in recent years. So kind of how did you, you know, get into that and talk to me about your journey there with skiing? Yeah, absolutely. When I was a youngster, there was a, an organization in the Detroit area that did some downhill skiing for visually impaired and blind skiers. So you'd go on a Sunday morning and they'd pair you up with a guide and it was very inexpensive, um, you know, somewhere in the realm of 15 to $20, including your lift ticket and your ski rental stuff. So, um, they, they definitely subsidized those prices for us and provided guides. And I loved it. It was great. I, I probably did that almost every Sunday, every winter from like fifth grade through ninth grade. Um, and then I just got a little bit too busy with gold ball and some other things to kind of maintain that activity there. Um, and it just kind of fell off my radar as something to do, but I'd always been kind of interested in cross country skiing. I just had never done it. Fast forward to me meeting this feller named Michael Stone. Uh, he actually wrote a book several years ago, maybe around 10 years ago, uh, maybe less than that, <laughs> somewhere in the five to 10 years ago. Well. <laughs> um, and he, uh, you know, he and I talked a lot and he was really starting to get into cross country skiing. And so he kind of was encouraging me, try this out. It's cool. Try this out. It's cool. Try this out. It's cool. And finally I watched those Beijing Olympics and Paralympics, uh, last winter, last February and March. And because of the coverage with audio description, I'd never really gotten into it the way that I got into it. I mean, I've watched 
probably somewhere around 50 hours of Olympic coverage with audio description and about a hundred hours of Paralympic coverage with audio description. <laughs> and I just, I, I knew I had to do it. I knew I had to play those sports. And so cross country skiing seemed to be the one that seemed the best to me. So I set out to do it and I had a great season. Uh, I found an event in Vermont at Craftsbury. They were trying to pair up some blind and visually impaired skiers with guides and train both sides of that puzzle to increase the sport. And so, uh, I was able to go out there and that was my first ever time cross country skiing. I got paired with a four time Olympic biathlete named Claire Eakin mm -hmm. as my guide. And so that was pretty incredible to have someone with that sort of uh, background as my first person on cross country skiing with, and uh, Sam Wood was kind of running the program. Uh, Sam was the guide for Jake Atikoff at the Beijing Paralympics. So Jake is a B3 and uh, Sam is his guide. So, you know, we never really got into my vision. I, I am a B2 at this point, uh, very low B2. Um, sure. My field is incredibly small. So I am all about the sports where I'm not using my vision because it's not really that helpful. And so a lot of the sports where you use what vision you have, I'm, I'm just like automatically at a disadvantage. So, uh, I, I love the sports where you get blindfolded, <laughs> so, uh, but I, you know, I got into this cross country skiing. It was, I had a great weekend there. I was able to get some skis loaned to me and, uh, I headed out to the, this event out at soldier hollow outside of salt Lake city. It was like the paranordic nationals for seated paranordic skiers, para cross country skiers. And then for the, the standing skiers, uh, they called it like the NORAMs. It was like a North American competition. And so I got to compete at the highest level in the country, really. Uh, so I had some pretty stoked or some pretty good guides, like quality guides who have, who have done it many times. Got to compete in my first biathlon, which is cross country skiing with shooting a gun. Um, and then sure. realized that, uh, yeah, that's me. I wanted to do that. So uh, if you don't know, that's shooting with a laser rifle. You put on a headphones and when you're on target, you get a high pitch solid tone, which is insanely hard to, to maintain that solid tone. And then it's concentric rings going down and tone out from there. So you got to squeeze that trigger when you're on that solid tone, uh, which I will tell you is very hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know Michael stone, you mentioned I did have on this podcast, definitely shout out to Michael and he had described that sport to me and it's like, wow, that sounds super cool. <laughs> yet super challenging. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. Found a guide back home. So, uh, Jim and I did a bunch of skiing in the Detroit area. There's a couple places nearby, uh, that we were able to go and I have been getting better and better. Um, you know, cross country skiing, your guide skis in front of you. He wears a microphone and a speaker. So he puts a speaker in the dead center of his back. So that's what I follow. So he's calling out the left, right up downs. And if it's a pretty steep downhill or a very technical section, he will reach his pole back and I'll actually grab his pole so he can guide through those sections. And then uh, connected with another guide up in the upper peninsula of Michigan in Marquette, uh, skied with him in a race up there. And he actually had guided before out in Colorado. He used to live in Colorado, had done some guiding for some blind skiers before. And so he and I made an immediate connection and he and I went out to the U S biathlon nationals this past March and competed in three races out there. And uh, we did incredibly well. It was 
absolutely a blast. Awesome. And do you have any aspirations of, uh, you know, the Paralympics and, and skiing? <laughs> you know, I, I think that would be great. I, I don't know how realistic that is. I'm certainly going to try for it because it's, it's not realistic if you don't try. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of on the radar of the development crew for the U S Paranordic team. And, you know, we'll kind of see how this next season goes. Uh, if it, if my trajectory is increasing, if my speed is increasing, um, you know, then maybe the following winter would be like that breakout year to go and do some international competitions and maybe try to make that 2026 team. But it's a little bit of a stretch for being such a brand new sport for me. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm certainly going to try for it, but I won't be devastated if I don't make it. Right. Right. Understandable. And, uh, any other sports for the blind or adaptive sports that you have tried or would like to, you know, give a whirl? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So my, my first love, my first sports that I was like, these are great sports were soccer and rollerblade hockey. And so I got to give a huge shout out to blind soccer. I think that it's incredible. It's a great sport. You throw on the eye shades and you play soccer with a ball that makes noise. It's, it's awesome. I, I did get to try it out one time. Um, you know, you, in order to compete at the, the highest level, you have to be a B1 and my vision's just, just on the, the North side of B1. So that one's, uh, you know, maybe in my future, we'll see, but I have played blind hockey. So the, you know, USA and Canada are really pushing hard to get blind hockey added to the Paralympics. You play with that, that metal puck with ball bearings on the inside. And it's a blast. You know, you have to complete a stick to stick pass in the offensive zone to be eligible to score. Your goalkeepers are B1s wearing eye shades and they block off the top foot of the goal. Other than that, you play hockey. And, uh, in, you know, to, to get out on the ice and play hockey with other players who are playing as hard as they can, it, it was great. You know, I, the first time I played was in 2016 and I, it was such a joy to be able to play that game. I can't speak highly enough about it. And the, those players who are dedicating their time to it, I think it's a great sport. Um, you know, my, the thing for me that makes it hard to, to fall in love with fully and dedicate myself to is that you're using the vision that you have and me as a low B2, it's, it's a clear disadvantage for me. So I'm not able to really get out there and skate as fast as I can skate. Cause I'm going to hurt myself. Um, right. And so I'll give another shout out to a person you had in a previous interview, Danny guard down in El Paso, the mooses playing Sonic hockey as they're calling it. Um, that's where they're, they're playing on rollerblades. They're playing with a puck that has a siren on the inside and goals that beep. Everyone plays totally blind. And, uh, you know, I, I went down there about a year ago to try it out. And that is a sport that I, if I had the people, if I had the, the venue here, I'd be playing it every day because it's incredible. <laughs> you're playing hockey, you're playing team hockey, you're stick to stick passing, you're creating plays and it's done totally blind. And it couldn't be more the opposite of goalball in every way you could possibly imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so number one, yes, uh, so. you know, it's adaptive, right? So there's hockey, there's rollerblade hockey. That's an, that's an established sport. And you, you've now adapted that sport to let blind people play. And, and goalball is not like that. Goalball is an invented sport. So the, the, you're already on different, different levels there. When you play goalball, you're playing in a silent room. The only thing making noise is that ball. You're, you're cued in on the feet of the thrower and the ball coming down the court at you. And when we're playing, uh, when you're playing Sonic hockey, the goals are backup alarms from trucks. So each goal is mm. boop, boop, 
on top of those two sounds that are constantly happening, the puck is like a hundred decibel siren that continuously sounds. <laughs> and on top of that, you can't, you're not uh, just, just like in blind soccer, you can't just like skate around. You, you have to make noise because you know, you're going to get hurt. If you're not making noise, you got to like tell other people where you are. So you're saying, you know, your team name and you're saying what you're doing constantly. So there's, there's just people talking, there's sirens going off. There's the puck smashing around. It, it's incredible. And, uh, I loved every second of it. <laughs> oh yeah. I totally want to try that someday. <laughs> Sounds absolutely amazing. And so sure. like you said, just fast paced, high energy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I've tried beatball, beat baseball. Um, it seems cool. I, I just, again, haven't really had the opportunity to really dive in as deep as I want to. So that one's on my radar, you know, when, when that, you know, Detroit beat baseball team gets formed, I'll be there. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, nice. yeah, that's yeah. my main sport. So definitely big shout out to all the beatball players <laughs> listening. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, tennis is the other one that's totally on my radar. Again, like I, I played tennis when I was a kid. I don't know how, I probably mostly by sound, you know, just like I play, we, uh, we ping pong, we table tennis the same way. Just play totally by sound. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I, I think I'd love to get out on there on the, on the court, but I would definitely want to play as a B one. I would definitely put the eye shades on and play the B one version because, uh, I don't, I don't want to try to use my vision. I think it's way more fun to play totally blind. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. So I know you did tell me that you do have a, a son and I'm curious just, you know, about being a blind dad and any funny stories, any interesting <laughs> perspectives on, on that side of life. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm not sure how I did it, but I somehow convinced uh, Jessica Hercula to marry me back in the, uh, the two thousands. And so, uh, Jessica Kuskew, my wife, she, uh, she's a TCBI. She teaches children with visual impairments in Western Wayne County, which is the county that Detroit's in. And she and I have a nine-year-old son, George. He is, uh, he's pretty incredible. He, uh, we've done the genetic testing, so it, it would be very unlikely for him to develop any sort of retinal problem. Um, his genes look pretty clear there. Uh, but just like me, he has ADHD. And so as a family, we get to navigate, uh, that together and, uh, you know, neurodivergence is a lot of fun. Uh, I've, I've kind of learned a lot about myself <laughs> through parenting him and how, <laughs> how really out of tune with my own emotions I have been pretty much my whole life. So, uh, yeah, parenting has been <laughs> a journey. It has been a journey, but yeah, he, he loves sports. He loves to play goal ball. He loves to ref goal ball. <laughs> he loves to coach goal ball. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he'll certainly be there. You know, he's been watching me ski. And so he's like, yeah, I want to do that. He plays soccer. You know, he's, uh, he's pretty awesome. And your wife, is she visually impaired or is she fully sighted? Uh, she is fully sighted. Um, yeah, we did have a fun scare with her vision not too long ago, but yeah, <laughs> she, uh, she does not have a, any vision problem. We actually knew each other while well, she knew who I was all the way back in like kindergarten, first grade. We uh, grew up in the same community. So one of her best friends was a friend of mine back when I was in first grade and they were in kindergarten. So kind of went through high school together. We were both band geeks together. And then uh, we both went off to college at Western Michigan and uh, yeah, convinced her that we should uh, be a couple. And, you know, I dumped her once, she dumped me once, but well, we got back together both sides. So, yeah, she, uh, you know, she 
got a music education degree and then uh, that didn't work out. So she ended up going back for the master's degree in TZBI and um, you know, she started out as a volunteer in goalball and then became a referee and then became our coach for the uh, wrecking crew and my current team, the Michigan Omega. And uh, now she, we kind of developed that into, she was the president of the Michigan blind athletic association and helping to wow. run the goalball tournament. That was a longstanding tradition in Michigan for many, many years that hopefully we'll be bringing back COVID kind of, uh, hit us in a, in a soft spot. So we haven't been able to, to bring that big tournament back, but, uh, yeah, she's, she's been crucial in uh gold ball in Michigan for the last 20 years. Nice. Very cool. So it sounds like quite a family affair when it comes to gold ball there in the Cusco household. Pretty much these sports don't happen for me unless it's a family affair, just because of the nature of Michigan. <laughs> it's, it's a driving state. So anywhere I want to go, it's kind of got to be, a whole family event. Right, right, exactly. All righty. Well, again, we've been chatting with John Cusco here on this episode of Eyes Free Sports. And uh, John, thanks so much for the time. Thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and congrats on all of your achievements, uh, not only in the classroom, but also on the goalball court and just uh, in life in general. Yeah, I'll, I'll close with one final thought that, you know, there there is a sport for you. <laughs> if you're a blind or visually impaired person out there and uh, it's there, you just got to find it. And so if you're not sure where to go, you're not sure what to do, uh, you know, reach out to me. I'll, I'll help you find something because there's these sports are happening in every community all over the country. Awesome. Great advice. And I did want to give you the chance to mention any social media, any ways people can reach you. Yeah, I'm on all of them. Um, K-U-S-K-U. If you, if you search that, you'll probably find me. We probably have friends in common. Um, and then, you know, I'll give a shout out to our Michigan blind athletic association. The website is M I for Michigan blind sports.org. And then to our national organization, the USABA, the United States association of blind athletes. And that's at USABA.org. So both those two, you, you can find some good stuff on those two sites. Nice. Cool. And as, as usual, I'll definitely include links to all that in the show notes as well. Alrighty. Well, again, really appreciate the time, John. Really enjoyed it. And thanks again for everything that you've you've done, that you're doing. And just uh, again, thanks for being a guest here on Eyes Free Sports. It was my pleasure. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyes free sports and on Twitter at eyes free sports. 